Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. This afternoon, I'm very happy to welcome Saba Khan, a visual artist from Lahore, Pakistan. Through her work that includes painting, sculpture, photography and installation, Saba balances grandeur, artifice and satire in order to address environmental as well as sociological issues related to her country's complex colonial past. Between 2014 and 2020, she was running the Marine Museum Artist Residency, an artist-led initiative in a British colonial hill town, and in 2019, she founded the satirical artist collective Pak Habatin Painting Club. In this conversation, we draw from her individual as well as her collective practice to discuss about her research into the notion of third world modernism. Saba, welcome to Paliroom. Thank you, Mito, for inviting me. Seba, thank you for accepting my invitation. I would like to start uh, our conversation today by discussing a little bit about uh, your practice. Throughout the years, you have developed a multimedia practice that looks into class divides, issues of representation and marginalization, as well as issues related to ecological disasters and the consecutive displacement of indigenous populations in your native Pakistan. How did you start engaging with these questions in your practice? In Pakistan, when you would see like a lot of class discrepancies, and I was trying to see um, how that happens. And um, my my previous work is all about class systems. And although we don't have like a caste system, but we also have like an informal one. And the, I realized that it all goes back to resources, like a lot of the resources or. the wealth of the country goes back into urban centers and not into the hinterland or the smaller towns you could say um in 2014 i started this um artist space in mari mari is a small hill town it's 3 kilometers long and was made by the british as a summer capital but they soon realized that there was no water and moved it somewhere else but they kept it as like this space for fun and frolic and you would go there just to have fun but it was a extremely segregated town um so the idea of calling artists there was to see how um ecologically it had been affected because after pakistan and india got divided which is called the partition 
that town was kind of like free for all anybody could build there or do whatever they liked now it's like a concrete jungle you don't see the forest as much um so i started inviting artists and because our art world is divided into two cities which is karachi and lahore uh, and we don't really get to see each other that much and because the distance is so wide and um you have to take a plane to karachi or drive for like i don't know like 10 or 15 hours so the idea was to meet people of your own age group i also felt like we were being isolated my generation of artists didn't have the opportunities that uh, people before my generation had and it was to create this kind of a community space and uh, there there's also extreme water shortage there sometimes you no, you can't shower like for a week you just have enough water to wash dishes so i was trying to figure out like where is this water issue coming from and uh, really trying to go deep into um where this crisis lies and um so we would go to the government official and ask him like why don't i have water like what's going on and he would always mention a dam and okay this dam is now complete now you'll get water and and that actually happened so there was a dam that was built by the chinese and the next season there was a lot of water but still not enough um so i so that's how i i thought like we could um um uh, what if we investigated what was going on on these dam sites there was a lot of chinese um money and influence coming in and pakistani government was also um bringing up these propaganda campaigns to build several dams so i started thinking like where are these dams and what are they talking about and they wanted people to crowdfund dams and put in put in money people's salaries were getting cut to build these dams but nobody knew where they were So I thought what if I asked um other women artists who I've been working with and we go from dam to dam site to dam site and see what's actually happening on the ground and that's how my collective was formed in uh, 2019 uh, it was an invitation from the Lahore Biennale so I thought maybe expand that opportunity for other people as well Actually uh, Pak Khawatin Painting Club uh, stands for the good girls or a uh, Pure Pakistani Women's Painting Club from Urdu, and I was wondering why did you choose this name? Yeah, so uh, so water is really like a a man's um, issue to deal with. Like if you go to the water department, or if you go to the um, the department that generates electricity or spaces where. um which have to do with water decision making it's all men and uh you so in the the water department i saw only two women there was like one who was a librarian the other one was in the pr department so women they don't really have a role in um in what to do with water although uh now statistics are coming out mostly farmers in some parts of the country are women because men leave for urban towns to work there and it's the women who are the agriculturists and they get affected by how much water they get so i thought what if we infiltrate these very masculine spaces and also this architecture is also very very masculine they're huge and they're um kind of like ejaculating water when you go there and so what if we infiltrate these spaces as these good women and we don't pose as a threat because the government had declared that if anybody criticizes a dam they would be charged of treason so what if we like these good girls wearing these nice girl guide uniforms and they also kind of mimic tropes of the bureaucracy and the military that we have these badges medals we have a uniform with the pakistani flag 
so when we started walking around in those uniforms you would be taken very seriously like um, we would be considered as somebody official otherwise if you're in your regular clothes people just assume you're just another housewife who's like nagging and you know is trying to just distract people but if you're in a uniform it's a totally different dynamic so it was really fun it was also a performative act where we execute these expeditions wearing uniforms and also have our logos now we started having our own departments so we really try to have fun with um the bureaucratic uh, the bureaucracy of it during your first expedition if i remember correctly you visited uh, six dams right and some of them were from the 1960s and some of them were newer what were your findings there and what was your urge to besides the water politics, which I understand uh, are very important in Pakistan, to visit the dams. There was a really interesting um, article that I had read about this Indian, about nuclear uh, power plants and nuclear weapons, which both India and Pakistan have, and they become like this conscious, um, collective conscious of nationalism. So even these mega dams are um, collectively uh, nationalistic propaganda object as well but nobody's seen them so i thought what if we also become witness to them and because they on obviously on rivers and these rivers were a source of life for uh, thousands of years like you find some of the oldest civilizations of the world on these on the main river which is indus and so uh, we thought like what if we look at the peripheries what did the dam inundate what was lost what was around it um what was the ancient life around it or even the most recent life around it and we found a lot of material to work around i was wondering since you are you know a visual artist working on your own work then you founded an artist residency and was running you were running it for some years and now you're also part of this collective so my question would be how do you see your individual practice merging with the collective one My work has uh, was kind of like an individual artistic work like before um the collective like uh, because I was running this artist residency it, I was more like of an administrator or curator or somebody who was who had a role of a uh, of somebody who was kind of facilitating other artists but uh the forming of the collective was to share those responsibilities equally and share resources as well as uh, skill sets but we also also understand that we are also individuals and we also have our own practices so our own practice will also kind of deviate and be some projects will be completely different from what we're doing in the collective and some of them may overlap uh, but that depends from project to project but the i i would say the residency in bari and the collective kind of overlap because uh the residency is also situated in an area which is very artificially produced by the british for themselves and the dams uh, go back um to 1880s where the british started um harnessing water one of the projects of the uh, british statecraft was to um these rivers are unruly and they needed to be uh, made into a machine as a resource to 
produce agriculture for the people so that harnessing project was a smaller one like they were started with this building canals and then they started making these barrages and then eventually world bank um came up with a solution for pakistan to make these mega dams and so this is like a continuation of the british project and so you could say that these both these spaces are interlinked So going back to the research that you've been conducting here during your one month residency in Athens you decided to look further into the notion of third world modernism and how actually modernism played a decisive role in the nation building process and into the social welfare projects of Pakistan and I'm wondering what was your starting point um, Pakistan has always been a water scarce uh, region and uh, it has made um five rivers but um two of the rivers are now flowing into india so it was a called the land of the seven rivers in ancient hindu texts so this was uh, really like a space where ancient civilizations could thrive because there was so much water around and um but with the british coming in a lot of that changed and they really um kind of tightened it all up like uh, they made these very regimented um, irrigation systems uh, all across and when uh, pakistan and india were, were two separate countries that whole irrigation system was cut into half and um, the british who were leaving thought okay maybe they'll negotiate and come up with a solution but the first thing india did was to shut off all the waters and it's kind of uh, stayed in the psyche of the pakistani government that india can do it any time because all the rivers flow through india so it went into these major negotiations where two of the rivers uh, river rights were given to india and in in place of those two rivers uh, pakistan got two dams um so recently again this whole um, paranoia kicked in again in 2018 uh, where A, a report from the pakistani government came that pakistan is going to run out of water in 2025 and this was the same time where south africa was also uh, had gone to their um, zero day where there was no water but it wasn't clear like i i was looked at these reports it wasn't clear like what is going to how are we going to run out of that water are the aquifers going to be dry or are the rivers going to be running dry are the glaciers going to be running dry what's going to be lost So that kind of triggered um my whole um idea because the gov- the only solution that the government came up was to build more dams but that really creates a lot of problems for people who are south and it uh, really um dries up their agricultural lands So I thought okay like we'll make a collective and we go from site to site uh, see what dams they've posed what's really happening there so what if we go in as the good girls and we don't pose as as a threat and that's how uh, this whole thing was triggered no this was an individual research because I'm also interested in expanding that that uh, time period of the 1960s and 70s in Pakistan which was more like a time period to modernize uh, so at the same time you were letting go of colonialism you were no longer a colony of the british and you wanted to be a modern country and show to the world that you've come this far and nehru's famous words are uh, dams are going to be the temples of india so we were call- kind of following s- suit and also mimicking what india was doing and also it was like this 
um, race uh, towards like who would be a more modern country. Yeah, so the, this whole uh, time period was used to expand on that research because I I feel like there's so many avenues that you can enter in. So it wasn't just um, dams or water which was being looked at, but it was also the music that was being influenced at that time. People were artists were traveling in Europe, also coming back with ideas of modern paintings. Modernism was coming in. So modernity and modernism are like two things which are um, coming into this. period and it's really interesting for me because it's not mimicry of the west but it's also kind of um finding your own way of how to let go of your previous generations influences and kind of um finding experimentation i understand that uh, as as part of your research there are many links that you're trying to to connect um to unpack this notion And on the one hand, I see, you know, the ecological issues and the ecological disasters that um, are linked to this building projects. But also you bring up um, issues that have to do with aesthetics. And I was wondering, what are the connections that you see uh, that you want to bring out between these two? Yes, yeah, so um, I, I find that whole um And those two decades, 60s and the 70s, and you could say early 80s, really interesting because it was uh, the time of uh, futurism as well, where World Bank and all these um, um, organizations were looking at uh, like future uh, data, like how much food people would need, how much um, agriculture needs to be produced, how much water people need. And also with futurism, there's also these aesthetics where you have Star Trek coming in and that kind of electronic music is being experimented with. And those ideas are also being, uh, were also coming into Pakistan. And if you see um, um, power plants or the control rooms of hydro dams, they look like something out of uh, a spaceship in Star Trek. And uh, all this Cold War era period aesthetics that are really interesting also kind of look retro sci-fi now. And so I was interested in, in developing that and also bringing in the music of the time. And um, for the first project, we didn't really experiment so much with the music, but, this, but the second one we have. And um, so really exploring into that time because also it's a crucial time for a lot of the countries, including Pakistan, where you see... Uh, all these countries were very liberal. They were uh, very westernized countries. And suddenly in the 80s, we all, like Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, we have like an Islamic di- dictator and things really change, even aesthetically. So 60s and 70s was uh, really like a, a different kind of an era, which is um, not experienced by me, but be, like I'm interested in, on the visual culture of that of that time. Pakistan also, um, because it was a new country, uh, it was also interested in in um, promoting itself as this uh, space where people would could come and travel. It was supposed to be this hippie trail. And uh, they also wanted people to take connecting flights from Pakistan. So they started promoting the airlines. And the airlines became like a brand ambassador of Pakistan. And they the airlines also had this uh, dance troupe, dance and music troupe. So they would go from different country to country, travel with officials and do like classical dance performances or experimental music. And they also came out, out with a lot of um, um, cassette tapes of just music. So they were uh, um, putting electronic music into folk songs and um, 
and it was it became really like a this thriving space for artists um to work in uh, they were also exoticizing pakistan so they would show like beautiful pakistani women in front of beautiful landscapes and they put uh, they hired pierre cardin um as a des- the french designer as um, somebody who would design the uniforms but stoli could also see uh, the degradation also of the uniform where it's very simple cut lines uh, straightforward uniform and stoli as the country becomes more islamicized there's more like influence coming from uh, islamic dictators the uniform also becomes more baggy and <laughs> it becomes more like um, a little different as well Well the stories that you share about how um your country was trying to um interpret you know this modernist project that was coming from abroad brings to my to my mind the way that things were also imported here in Greece and I was wondering since you decided to come to Athens what was your urge to be here were there any links that you were wishing to to find during your time here why did you decide to come to athens uh one yeah one one of the most interesting uh parts of pakistan is um the capital the federal capital of pakistan is called islamabad and that was also you could say one of the biggest projects of the 1960s dictatorship at the time and they wanted like a like a really like an elitist city where only bureaucrats would um, and politicians would live and because it's very close to the center of the military so the the military found it very convenient to control bureaucrats and politicians from there and they hired doxy idas the greek architect to help them out and although uh, doxy idas talks about acoustics ek- 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 and um, the human scale of objects and buildings but uh, over there he didn't really apply it so much and also because he had to pander to the di- dictator and the military um, leadership of the time so that uh, there's a lot of work being written about how islamabad is not a failed city but it's an elite city and it's very um, it's a very controlled city and also a very dry one although it's a beautiful city it's in the midst of like a valley and um the mountains are all around it uh but there's a lot of work being done about it so i visited the doxiadas archives and it was really interesting to find his diaries on pakistan so it was like this scrapbook where he's uh, he's invited to pakistan and they they ask him to travel from south to north and he's documenting vernacular architecture and uh, but the way he's also looking at it it's a little bit um also from like a western eye um and uh, obviously like he doesn't he only spends like 3 years there and then the military dictatorship decides okay we don't want to give him so much power and they they use his plans but they don't fully work with him in the end and they don't really get along so so much and uh, but they also bring in other italian architects to build the presidential house and it's and uh, this massive building but uh, but the problem with islamabad is that there's no um, there's no public space or there's there are no roundabouts and that's kind of deliberate because if you have a public space or a roundabout and roundabout is supposed to be uh, centers for protests so nobody can congregate in park in islamabad and have a protest and because it's such a controlled uh, city the land prices are so high uh that you wouldn't really have your middle class or working class coming in to work there so it this ex- excludes people out 
so there's a lot of criticism on it and then he had another project in karachi which was a housing project for refugees who came in from india to to pakistan to settle there which is also uh, kind of um had had its own feelings i just find oxyad is like a, like this really whimsical interesting character because he had these boat um, symposiums where he would put uh, different people on on a boat and um and um and they would go from santorini mykonos and end up in delos um so i i thought those must be like fun trips to go to and and he also invited like a lot of pakistanis not a lot like maybe like five and i think only one went um but there were a lot of people would refuse to go or not go at all but there were also some celebrities who would end up uh, celebrity academics who would end up on the boat what he did was he also tried to set up a school for architects in pakistan so they would the idea was they would uh, spend one year in athens and then the second year in pakistan and they would work on the projects that oxyadis was working on and i think they did three rounds and it didn't it was kind of like a failure <laughs> and yesterday i found these reports confidential reports on each of the students and they had written how like awful the students were and <laughs> that's funny <laughs> and like one of them was expelled because he never came to classes he ended up marrying a greek girl and ran off <laughs> so um so it like the women were the 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 best students they were in two women and because they were like so shy and like you know um so kind of like coming out of a patriarchal culture and they were the only ones who were working hard and um but most of them like were really rowdy they were saying we don't understand anything and, and their complaints are like literally translated from urdu to english so they saying everything is going over our heads because that's like an urdu phrase um and um they there was there was like a lot of communication problem with the teachers and the students well the diaries and also these reports are really interesting findings do you see them somehow feeding into your the future of your research Yeah because I I'm, I'm interested in the also the flow of ideas like how ideas were flowing in uh, or even going out so uh, this is like a really uh, like a concrete proof of um somebody coming in and actually teaching um Pakistani future architects or urban designers um so it's interesting like you have like this concrete evidence of that happening otherwise you did have like a lot of artists who would leave for paris stay there for one month but you uh, wouldn't really know what they were doing over there or what was happening who were they talking to so those kind of archives are lost or maybe didn't never existed um so this is like concrete proof and it's really funny as well like <laughs> the kind of complaints that both sides have had have of each other uh so also there was no like the, these visa re- regimes at that time so it was easier for people to move back and forth and uh, influence each other hmm. that's really interesting your last comment because one would say that you know now we live in a global society uh, everything is flowing through the internet we we can travel more easily and actually it's not so easy to travel and to cross borders anymore Yeah not at all I think uh, if you have a visa from the global south then it's a very restricted world for you like you live in a world of a lot of walls so yes uh, so before in the 1960s you could just pack up your suitcase and move to paris but and for a year and that was also affordable but that's not even affordable anymore and um even the indians that i met pakistan indian friends 
they were also um, had the same issues that you can't just um, move anywhere. Well, um, Sabah, I have le- one last question before we close our discussion today. I was wondering, how um, are you planning to continue this research in Pakistan now that you're going back? And also, what are your next steps, more broadly speaking? Um, so I was I took the uh, list of students who actually came to Athens. Uh, I'm not. I don't think any of them are living. Uh, they were like. 35 or 30 when they came here in the 60s so i'm not sure if they're alive but they obviously their children are and they probably do have some records or like what happened they get influenced by it um because um this is not like the only program that would uh, be like a training program for young pakistanis and um so i'm interested like like how what i would like to contact their families and see who they were what happened did they continue anything um so i think yeah And obviously, like, I have to look at more music from that era. Nice. Thank you so much for sharing. It was really a pleasure to, to talk with you and to listen, uh, to, to get to know more about your research. And I hope that uh, we will have the chance for you to come back soon. I, uh, yeah, thank you for inviting me. And I think it's been a really, like, um, um, an amazing space here to, like, to research and to think and also to just kind of um, think about how to work in collectives because also like how you guys work it's been really interesting to watch um, and thank you for having me here thank you for listening if you want to listen to more conversations please subscribe to our channel you can find more about the UNASSA residency program and each participant at www.onasis.org this series is produced by UNASSA Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.